Amen. Good worship this morning. Hmm? Amen. Are y'all awake out there? All right, Red Baptist Church. It's time. It's time to wake up. Okay. I'm going to tell you this has been an interesting week. Uh, I had a busy week. It was uh, homecoming this week at my school. A lot of things going on, and I started preparing. Uh, for this message, I know this is not the way you should do it, but Saturday morning. That is in no way what you should be doing. Uh, but I, I started to, to make out some notes, hit print on the printer, and realized that uh, there's no ink. So then I decided that the uh, handout that I had had, the one note that did print, uh, I would put it in the shredder. So I put it in the shredder, and it did not go through the shredder, but something is wrong with the shredder, and it may have caught on fire uh, in my office at home. And, and so I was thinking to myself, okay, uh, you know, something's going on. So I dumped the shredder over, uh, and you know those little papers, you know, that it shreds and drill fine? Yeah, I uh, sort of tipped over the wastebasket, it went everywhere, all over the office, and so I was thinking, okay, Lord, um, what is going on here? Uh, there must be something uh, that's here that clearly uh, I think maybe I'm, I'm coming under attack this morning. And so I need, need some prayer. Well, uh, Ed texted me last night very late, and he wanted uh, me to mention three things. He wanted me to mention that uh, Evelyn Selman, she had a stroke yesterday and desperately needs your prayers. He also uh, wanted us to pray for Larry Knight, and he, who's still in the hospital this morning, has been there all week, and wanted me, us to pray for Mike Kemper, who's in a hospital uh, in Colorado and uh, still very, very um, ill. So I'm on my way to church this morning, and I have my cell phone off, I always do, and the phone starts vibrating, I feel it in my pocket, and so I look at it, don't recognize the number. And I answer it, and lo and behold, it's Larry Knight. And he said, I have not been able to sleep all night long. In fact, I haven't gotten much sleep all week, he said. And he goes, I had a a dream last night. And he goes, it's so important. He goes, I called my wife. I made her come back up to the hospital to stay with me all night. And he goes, I... I want to tell you the dream about the dream that I had. I said, all right, tell me, brother. And he said that he, God has really laid upon his heart. And he goes, I really believe in my heart of hearts that our time is short, that God's coming soon. And he said, you need to present the gospel this morning because there is somebody that's going to be here today that needs to hear the gospel in a very clear, in a very plain way. You know, in Revelation, it talks about in the last days, it says our, our older men will dream dreams and our younger men will have visions. And uh, I, I believe that maybe he, he saw something legitimately, truly. And I do believe, if we talk about the doctrine of eminency, that when Christ said, We're gonna, I'm going to come and I'm going to come quickly and soon, he's only going to tarry for so long. Do you believe that? So... This message this morning is entitled, Clinging to the Promises. Now, I was talking with my wife, and I was asking her, I said, Laurie, what, 
you know, what do you think the church needs here? And she goes, they need something very uplifting. They need something very positive. You need to bring, uh, you know, this upbeat message to Red Baptist Church. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's not really my style. I'm more of the Jonathan Edwards, centers in the hands of an angry God, right? Rain down fire and brimstone. But I said, I'm going to give it a shot regardless. Uh, so I entitled this message, Clinging to the Promises. Now I want to ask you a question and see if you remember this. Do you remember the days, some of you do in here, when you would reach out your hand and you shook somebody's hand and you gave them your word and that that meant something? I, I kind of miss those days. When the promise in your word meant something and it was good because we were a country of honor, men of honor, women of honor, and when we gave our word, that was it, it was final. And that handshake was stronger than the thousand legal documents you have today where you have to initial at the bottom, initial and sign, date, initial, sign, and date, which is nothing more than a piece of paper and really doesn't do anything for us. Well, I believe that God is going to keep all of His promises, and we're going to take a look at each one. So if you have your, if you have your bulletin out there, uh, there's some notes there, uh, and we're going to just look at them one by one. There's seven of them that I would like to examine this morning. Promise number one says this, God shall supply all our needs. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to know that God is going to supply all of our needs? But I am also reminded that the last couple of weeks, Brother Ed, he preached two messages on tithing. And it hit me hard. He talked about sacrificial giving and what that looks like. And, and so I think in this country uh, that we have kind of forgotten what is the difference between needs and wants. I mean, when we really start talking about needs, we get down to the basic, you know, food, shelter, clothing. That is the basis of, of what it is that we need. Anything else is just a blessing and a gift from God. You know, I, I think, in my opinion, uh, and I, I, was, I looked in our bulletin and I saw that it talked about in November, of course, you know, uh, voting and, of course, everything that's going on in our news today about, you know, voting for this candidate or that candidate. We've got an election coming up in 2020. And I think part of the root of the entire problem, and follow me here with this just for a second, is when it gets down to needs and wants. Do you realize, and back in the old days, who, who used to be the entity that you would run to for help? That entity was the church. You would come to the church to seek help. And then somewhere along the way, that stopped and the federal government got involved, and now it's, uh, it's a federal government type thing. And so when we vote, it's, it is a danger to think that, you know, nobody would ever say that we don't want to help people in need. God wants to help people in need. God says, I'll supply all of your needs. And yet, a lot of times we vote not based upon, you know, these issues, maybe morality issues or what God says, but we're 
voting based on what is it that they're going to give me? What are they going to do for me? And it creates a sense of entitlement. And I think about, you know, our welfare programs, and our welfare programs were put in place to help those that were in need and that they were good and that they were serving their purpose. But then somewhere along the way, they began to get abused. And this misuse and the abusing of these programs have caused a lot of animosity. Well, I'll give you this little illustration to put it this way. There's a coach who coaches a sport. He's in a school. And there's this young lady who had transferred from one school to another and uh, she said that basically she didn't have any money, she couldn't pay to file this paperwork, the school's not going to file it, it's a charge from uh, our governing body, which we call UIL, if you haven't heard of that, that governs all uh, uh, sporting events and, and extracurricular activities. And so this particular teacher was like, you know what, I, don't worry about it, I'm going to take care of that. And so he just paid what it was that was owed, he filled out the paperwork and he sent it in. Well, then uh, it was the following week, the same said student came and she had a brand new Apple Watch on. And of course, I don't know if you price those, but they're, they're pretty pricey, far more than what it would have been to fill out that paperwork. What I mean to say this is I realized that like, look, it wasn't this financial need, it wasn't this hardship it was a matter of where our priorities lie. You follow me? Uh, and so many times uh, I was thinking, you know, when God is going to take care of our needs and we say, well, my needs are not being met, just to let you know, our cell phone bills, uh, cable television, high-speed internet access, um, going out to eat all the time, you do realize that those are not needs. Those are wants. Those are blessings that we get to enjoy, but they're not required to sustain life. And so I was thinking about the message that he was, and he was, as he was talking about the tithing, and I was thinking to myself, the first check that we make out, it ought to be to the Lord, because we say, this is what I value the most. Everything is built upon that, because see, he's the one that gives it all to you anyway. It all really belongs to him. He only requires the 10%, see, something very, very small. But it's that faith. And then he got in, he started starting to talk about people that were losing their jobs, people that were struggling. And he was like, go ahead and give anyway and, and as, a, as a testament of faith. And you go ahead and test God in that and let him show up. Watch what he does with the finances in your life. Well, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that, you know, we used to be the greatest lender nation in the world, and now we're the greatest debtor nation. And of course, what we look at as wealth today, and people have fancy cars and big homes and boats and everything else, and they, we, we want these things. And in reality, you know, we, can, we consider those people wealthy. Well, they, they may not own those things. They just may be in debt over their eyeballs. And so, you know, what, is it, what does wealth really look like? Well, it's, it's somebody who obviously are putting in the financial principles of God. And I, I truly believe this, that if you give those over to God, that He's going to take care of you. I look at that personal pronoun that's in this Scripture, and it says, My, My God. Isn't it amazing that there's this intimacy between us and our Creator, that we can rely on Him, that we have this relationship with Him. 
You know, I was thinking about if somebody uh, important walks in the room, uh, let's say the president or somebody, everybody wants to go over and they want to shake the president's hand, they want to talk to him, they want to like monopolize his time. But isn't it interesting that God can have that personal time with each and every one of us simultaneously all over the world? That's remarkable. Well, it says, He shall supply your needs. His riches, according to His riches. Well, you know, uh, we think that gold is valuable. It's precious. I mean, we, we wear it around our necks. We have it on our fingers. And then, of course, I'm always reminded, you know how God views gold? He views it as cement. That's what He uses it for. Pavement in heaven. Uh, if He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, how is it that uh, he doesn't have enough. He, of course he does. He has enough for everybody to take care of all of our needs. Well, promise number two. God's grace is sufficient for us. Now, what is that, the definition of grace? And uh, I heard another pastor say it best, and he said, it is unmerited favor. It is being forgiven for something that you don't really deserve, but that forgiveness has been extended anyway. Uh, I always liked the acronym, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That is grace. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, it says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness." so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice this. It is not grace plus anything. I think about the Apostle Paul. I think about how many times he prayed for this thorn, whatever it is, to be removed, and yet God did not remove it. He said, my grace is sufficient. Grace is still present. So I'm thinking about how does this play out in our lives? What does this really look like? Well, you know, I coach, uh, I'm the head tennis coach there at Boswell High School, and I was thinking about my athletes. You know, my athletes were always talking about winning the game, winning the championship, winning district, whatever. Well, can you win it on your own power? And the answer is no, you cannot. But you plus God can Student, can you pass this test in college or in school? Uh, are you smart enough? Are you, you know, have you studied enough? No, but God plus you can. Husband and wife uh, that are having marriage problems, uh, th that there's something that is dividing you, you're thinking about splitting up or whatever. Uh, can you yourself in your own power restore this marriage? No, but God plus you can. Can I endure this health crisis that I'm in? All of these physical maladies that I have. No, you, you cannot stand underneath that on your own, but God plus you can. Can you fight the pain that you're feeling? Maybe even right now. Tremendous amounts of pain. Those that are dealing with chronic pain in here this morning. Can you do that by yourself? No, but God plus you can. Can you overcome depression? Can you fight those feelings of worthlessness on your own? No, but God plus you can. Can you resist this addiction? Uh, 
whatever it is that Satan is using to get a hold in your life. No, you cannot do it on your own power, but God plus you can. You see, God sees the big picture. We only see now, we only see the temporary, but He sees it all. Promise number three, God's children will not be overtaken by temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has been overtaken that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, let's look at this. It says, God's children will not be overtaken by temptation. Well, so many times we have heard over and over again, well, you just don't, you just don't understand. Uh, I'm predisposed to this. It's in my genetics or whatever it is. Uh, we like to make excuses about why we're choosing the wrong path over that narrow path. But in reality, what does it say? It says that you will not be overtaken by temptation, that you have the power to withstand it. Well, of course you do, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have a power that is indescribable, a power of an almighty God that created all of us, this entire world, the entire universe, and everything that is in it. Well, when we think it is beyond our ability, just know this, that He says that He's going to provide a way out a way of escape. Well, I was thinking about this, and again, how does this look in our real lives? And maybe I I started thinking about some of my students, maybe even some of my adult friends, and some of the friends that they have, and the people that they hang out with. Let me tell you something, young people, tell you something, just church, we have to examine the friends that we're keeping. And they may not be healthy for us. They may be leading us down the wrong path. My dad always said, you are who you hang out with. And that's huge. It may be that we're, we're just, these friends are dragging us down, these so-called friends, and are putting peer pressure. They're putting us in situations that are unhealthy, that are contrary to the Scriptures. They're asking us to go to these parties. They're asking us to hang out in these places where we know that there are drugs or alcohol or drinking or whatever it is. And that we know that we're not supposed to be doing those things. It could be just as simple as laughing at jokes that we're not supposed to be laughing at. Well, what does the Scripture say? I've, I've often thought about this. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily even a bad idea to isolate yourself. What does it say? Be still and know that I am God. Get by yourself. And, and if that doesn't work, uh, I think about Joseph in the Scriptures. Joseph that was tempted um, by Pharaoh's wife who she so desperately wanted to sleep with him and was grabbing on to him. And she was doing everything that she knew to do to entice him to go to bed. And yet, he ran in the other direction. Well, you say, well, yeah, but look what happened. He got, he got thrown in prison. Uh, there were t- just terrible things that happened to him. Was that a part of God's plan, yes or no? He put him there. He interpreted those dreams. Uh, he ended up being called up out of prison. He interpreted those, that Pharaoh's dream correctly. 
He saved Egypt and all the people around him, including the nation of Israel, from a massive famine and became second in command, this, this Jew of all of Egypt, one of the most powerful empires the world had ever seen. So flee from temptation, but know this, no matter what it is that you're dealing with this morning, God is bigger. Promise number four, God promises victory over death. That should excite you, right? I mean, I don't know if you're excited about that, but you know, obviously there are some of our members who are, forgive me for the personification, but they're staring death in the face, even now as we speak. And what is it that I see? I see a confidence. I see a boldness uh, that I have never seen before. I said, you know what? I might be ready to be in the arms of Christ. I'm ready to go. I've fought the good fight. I've ran the race. I'm finishing strong. And when the Lord decides to call me home, so be it. Because death, where is thy victory? Right? I like that language. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, Yes, we are of good courage, but we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Are there any of you this morning that you woke up um, and you might have had a little pain, maybe in a back or a knee, or you're struggling with some illness or ailment, and you decided, I think I'd just like to leave this body behind and get my new one? Is there anybody here? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right. If you didn't raise your hand, man, you must be in good shape. Really good shape. Well, what was the attitude of the Apostle Paul? He talks about not afraid. Did you guys hear the song that we sang this morning about fear? It ties in so perfect. I mean, you couldn't plan this any better. We're not to be afraid. No human can hurt us. I think about Nick Saint, the missionary, who went to an unreached people group, had a float plane, flew it in there, Uh, really felt the calling on his life. God had called him to this unreached people group, and him and his friend, when they landed and they approached them, were were murdered. And I'll never forget, this is a true conversation that he had with his young son as he was boarding the float plane to fly to the unreached people group. And he said, Daddy, you know, isn't this dangerous? And, and, you know, couldn't you die? You could be killed because obviously we hear about missionaries overseas killed all the time because of their belief in Christ. And he got on his knee and he took his son by the hand and he said, Yes, son, it is dangerous and I could very well possibly die. But it's okay because I know Jesus Christ. I know where I'm going and they don't. And so, if you know the story, uh, his wife went after his death into the unreached people, shared the gospel of Christ. The majority of the entire tribe came to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and then she basically came out and told them, you were the very people that murdered my husband, but God told me to go, so I went. God promises victory over death, the hope of the final journey, the assurance that we have. Promise number five, God promises that all things 
work together for good for his people. Well, in Romans 8, 28, it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to look two things. I want you to notice the phrase, who love God and are called. If you are here today, you are definitely, you are called to serve the Lord. I hope in my heart of hearts that you love the Lord and that this is a promise that you can cling to. Just like the story that I just told, you think, well, how is it that anything good can come from the death of this missionary, and yet an entire unreached people group came to know the Lord? I always am reminded that if we step back, God is seeing the entire picture unfold, good and bad. You know, you could say the same thing about this church right here, right at Baptist Church. I know you may be thinking to yourself, of all the things that have happened in the past, whatever pastors you have had that have preached behind this pulpit, whatever children's ministers or music ministers, the ups and the downs, God says all things work together for good for His people. All things. We may be at a rough patch. We may be, you know, looking backward and trying to focus on these negative things that have happened in the past. But I know this, God has a reason for it all. He has allowed certain things to happen. I look at the story of Job and I ask myself, you know, Job was thinking, okay, even his friends were telling him, Job, you must have un, some unconfessed sin in your life. What is it that you have done to deserve all of this? You remember that conversation? And yet, we know that it had absolutely nothing to do with anything that was going on in his life, but it was just a, it was a test. I mean, it was sort of like between God and Satan, and he would say, listen, this faithful servant here, he's going to throw you under the bus, and God said, no, no, he's not. He's going to remain faithful and true, and I'm not going to let you take his life because God has that power, but he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to let you torment him, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove to you what it looks like when a genuine believer follows Christ. Well, no matter what has happened, I hope that you realize that all things are working together for good. Promise number six, God has promised salvation to those who believe and walk with him. Mark 16:16 16, 16 says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Well, here's the question. What does believing look like? Well, you believe, but then you also walk with him. There is an action that is required. And you say, "Pastor, don't you realize that all these people out here, we came this morning and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody here knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to tell you, I never assume that. It says in the Scriptures to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I have absolutely no idea who's listening today. I have no idea who will decide to go to the website and click on this and listen to it on the internet or whatever. No clue. But I know this that it is not an easy believism 
as we have become so accustomed to in this culture, where you walk down an aisle, you repeated some words after a pastor, he didn't really even explain it, they dunked you in a tank and they said that you were good to go and they sent you on your way. And if that was the experience, I am so sorry because that is not really what it should look like. In reality, it should be this. Not that I'm going to try to talk you down the aisle. In fact, I would do just the opposite. I'm going to tell you this, that if you're going to walk with Him, truly walk with Him, it could cost you everything. Remember the song we sang this morning, Take Everything? It might come down to that. It could cost you your family. It could cost you relationships. It could cost you financially. It could cost you in multiple ways. I don't know what it would be that God would call you to do, but I've seen it before, and I know that it could cost you something. So there is going to be action that is required. I mean, the largest church in America today is meeting. They're holding up their Bibles. They might have one verse. He's not going to talk about sin. He's not going to talk about anything bad. He's going to be super, super positive. And then you're going to sing some very upbeat songs. They're going to send you out that door on your way, and away you go. In fact, if we could even pin him down, he might even tell you that he doesn't even believe that Jesus is the only way. Well, what is it going to cost you? Now, I want to focus on this next part because uh, it talks about baptism. It says, whoever believes and is baptized. And so a lot of people have looked at this. They've taken it out of context. They said, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. I've heard that many times over and over again. Look at the thief on the cross. Did the thief have time to come down and be baptized? No. Uh, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, okay? Uh, you say, well, we have, we have deathbed conversions. Yes, we do have those um, there sometimes. But I do believe this because it's also in the Great Commission that baptism is very important. That is why we baptize. That is why we have the name Baptists. In other words, I believe that if you have truly accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and if you have not followed in believers' baptism, my question for you is this, why? I mean, a lot of times I hear this, that, well, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm going to get up there and, you know, he's going to dunk me. I'm, it's a little scary. I'm in front of everybody. Well, I want you to think about this. What it says is that you need to live in a spirit of boldness, and it says that if you cannot f- confess Christ before men, then he can't confess you before the Father. So, I mean, you don't want me baptized, because if I'm up there, I'm asking you to share your testimony. I'm asking you questions. That's nerve-wracking. Because that's exactly the way I do it. I tell I said, listen, if you want to share your testimony, or I ask you, have you decided to follow Jesus? And I'm waiting for that answer, yes. And people don't realize that that energizes the crowd. It, it, like, it invigorates our believers. Like, it's the most exciting thing that can happen. It's almost like the, a rock concert. We need to be standing up and cheering because somebody missed hell and hit heaven and is changed forever by an almighty God. There's nothing that can be more exciting than that. Ever. If you have not followed in believer's baptism, that next step, I would encourage you, when we have our time, come down. 
and, and say, listen, I, I want to follow in believers' baptism. I, wanna, I want to show the church. I mean, what is it? It's symbolic in the fact that uh, Jesus died, He rose again. It's basically uh, a testimony in itself, just having you up here and going through that act. There's nothing special in the water. There's nothing different about you from when you went in to when you went out, but there was something different about when you decide to truly give your heart to Christ because you became a new man or woman and you're changed forever. The line is drawn in the sand. I want you to notice this. Whoever believes and is baptized, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay. Now, you're going to hear something that you're not going to hear in any pulpit across America this morning, or at least very few of them. Heaven is a real place, but so is the lake of fire. So is eternal damnation. You're either a friend of God or you're an enemy. And I would not want to be an enemy of Almighty God. Joshua drew the line in the sand, and he said, Choose you whom this day you're going to serve. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. People this morning, even in our Sunday school class, they were talking about, well, you know, the church is coming under attack, and what if they take away our tax-exempt status, and, you know, what's going to happen, you know, to Retta? And I said, no matter what, we're going to follow the Bible, and we're going to follow Christ regardless. If we have to meet in homes, if we come under persecution, if they all have to put us in prison, we're going to be singing Amazing Grace in there just the same way that Apostle Paul did. And I expect there to be an earthquake, and I expect those gates to fly open. They're not going to know what to do with this. That's exactly what's going to happen. And I'm not afraid. Promise number seven. God has promised eternal life. You know, I often think about this. And it blows my mind. Have you ever thought about eternity? Like, I'm, be, I'm just being serious right now. Like, day after day after day, and it never ending. I can't comprehend that. I don't know. Maybe you can. You're probably smarter than I am, but I just can't. I can't even fathom it. I mean, everything that we've ever done from the time that we're born, we know that we're headed towards a death. We know that there's going to be one more day, one more week, one more month, one more year, one more decade, one more century, and so on, and then it's over. And we're always thinking of it in those terms, but God has promised eternal life. That's why I try to get people to realize that they, they want to be with the world now, they want to live in the sin, they, they're totally caught up in it, and I said, this is temporary we, we might be given up, and when I would say the, in a loose term, giving up some things, which I don't even look at it that way because we're not giving up really anything. God is sparing us from a lot of heartache and disaster. But yet, do you realize that when you die, it is forever? See, everybody lives forever. It just depends on where you're going to live it. John 10, 27 and 28 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. So I want to ask you this question Do you hear his voice? Do you recognize him when he calls? 
There's a, I was in my room the other day. I'm kind of loud. You can hear me across the hall. People always know. They're like, oh, there's Coach Gear. You know, he's, he's, he's the loud one. You know, he gets all wound up. But I started thinking about that, like how we recognize people by their voices. You know, they call on the phone before the days that we had caller ID and all of these other things, right? Before Skype, where we know it's them. Did you recognize the voices of the ones that you loved when they called? Yes. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, we could do a whole study. Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Where was he going? He was headed to the cross. That's where he was headed. I mean, that's not a great place to be, but that's, that was his destiny. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You want a verse on eternal security? There you go. Right there. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You belong to Him. I find it to be very common that people, especially young Christians, and maybe even some veteran Christians too, they doubt their salvation. They doubt it. And I think that there is natural... I I know that Satan wants to get us to doubt our salvation, but we shouldn't. We should be confident. We should be bold. We should know nobody can snatch me out of the hand of my Father. Are you following Him? Or are you walking on your own? We call them lost. We call them lost people. It's not good to be lost. It's frightening. It's scary. If you've ever been lost, again, before the days of Google Maps, right? I got lost a lot. My wife will tell you I'm not good with directions. That is a frightening thing. I have wound up in places that you cannot imagine. And that's frightening. But if you can answer yes to both, if you recognize His voice, if you are following Him, then we know you're in the hands of God. So I want to leave you with this this morning. Can you cling to the promises of God? Now, that's, that's a loaded question because there's, there's two answers. I mean, there's two honest answers that you can give yourself this morning. The first one is yes. I, I saw a lot of you shake your hands. I heard you. Well, then here is what I want you to do. Yes, then live like you believe it. Live like you believe it. If you're going to talk the talk, then walk the walk. We go back to that promise, and I, I, he just, God brought this to my heart. About the, God shall supply all of your needs. We had a mission breakfast the other day, and we have uh, some young kids from Guatemala that need to be sponsored. And I, some of you came forward, and you sponsored some kids. And I appreciate you doing that costs a little more than a dollar a day. We have, from what I understand, we have four kids left that, you know, are kind of in our group that we're responsible for. Um, and if, if uh, Amos's wife, Mary, she was here, and uh, Julie, I know that Julie is kind of heading that up. But this is what I mean when I say live like you believe it. 
if you want to sponsor one of those kids, you, maybe you missed the breakfast, maybe, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you didn't even just know about this until right now, and you decide, you know what, the Lord's telling you, I want to sponsor one of these kids. If we get three people, I'll, I'll sponsor the fourth. Because I believe this, we need to live like we mean it. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So if you feel that that might be something you want to do, let, let me know. Now the second response, and I'm hoping that it's none of you in here, is you say, can you cling to the promises of God? And that answer was no. Well, I want to tell you this. Jesus is waiting. He is calling you. We're going to have an invitation in just a few moments. A praise team is going to come forward. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing a song. And then it's business time. It's go time. So whatever it is that the Lord is telling you, whether it's following believer's baptism, if Larry was right and, and, and I, there's going to be somebody that's going to come forward that needs to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, there's no time like the present. Do not wait another day because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you want to sponsor one of those kids from Guatemala, if you say, listen, I, I need to, to go, I need to, I need to step out, I need to make a phone call to a brother or a sister or a, a husband or a wife or whatever it is, and you need to get something right, whatever it is that the Lord tells you to do, this is the decision time. This is the time to do it. Because it's about action. It's not just about us talking about it all the time. It's about us doing something. I pray that one of these promises today really will make an impact in your life going forward. Would you uh, bow with me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, I just thank you, first of all, for all these promises that you have in the Scriptures that you've given to us, Father. Uh, I'm overwhelmed to know that you are taking care of us. You're taking care of us financially. You understand our struggles. You understand the temptations that we have. You provided a way out. That you have given us eternal life, Father. That you have us in your, your hand forever. That you are supplying all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I just pray that as we enter into this time, Lord, whatever it is, that the Holy Spirit would just fall upon this place. Lord, that you would do a mighty work. And Lord, that you would be with this church. I pray, Lord, for our committees, our finance committee, personnel committee. I pray, Lord, for all of those committees that have been formed to go find a youth pastor, to find a, uh, a worship leader as we uh, begin to pray and seek what direction you want for our children's ministry. Lord, these are decisions that we do not have the wisdom to make on our own. We need your guidance. Lord, guide Retta Baptist Church. Help us to be a praying church and a church that's always seeking your will above all things else. Lord, just be with us in this closing time and ask these things in your name. Amen.